0: You are listening to your Blessed Life podcast, and this is episode number 35. Blessed Nation, today's episode is with a special guest, Daryl Lyons. And I think you're really going to enjoy this episode because we haven't had a guest on the show that talks about this topic yet. And you know, I've been on a kind of a hunt to find someone like Daryl, I've been on the lookout for a guy or a gal, for a man or woman of Christ that can impart biblical wisdom, biblical knowledge as it relates to our finances. Because frankly speaking, our finances are an important part of our lives. That's what makes a large portion of our daily life happen. So it's only natural that we bring a guest on the show where we can talk about money from a biblical perspective. And the cool thing about this interview with Daryl is we're going to do it as it relates to his story. I can't wait to share his episode with you, and it's coming up right now. Let the stories and teachings of today's top Christian leaders inspire and move you to releasing God's best for your life. With your host, best selling author, and certified Christian life coach, Jay Marsh. Welcome to your blessed life. Well, welcome to the show. Hey, if you're already part of Blessed Nation, I want to congratulate you and thank you for being part of our community here. And if you're not, I want to invite you to join us. So when you go to yourblessedlife.com, you can join us for regular insights, teachings, and maybe even a few resources that will bless your life. So I want to invite you to join the community here at Blessed Nation today. Hey, it's Jay Marsh here. It's an honor to get to be with you today and I want to welcome you to the show. Welcome to Your Blessed Life. So I want to get right into the show, and I want to introduce you to our featured guest. Blessed Nation, I'd like to introduce you to Daryl Lyons. Daryl, welcome to the show. Hey,
1: thanks for having me today. I really appreciate it.
0: You bet, man. It's nice to get to connect with you. I know a, a couple of cool things about you, but I think the funnest thing that I know about you is that we are and we, we were kind of talking just a, a moment ago about this briefly that we are so close together. We're probably what ten or twelve miles down the down the road from each other as we speak, right? That's right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's nice to know, but it's funny to know that it took it took a guy from Tennessee yeah. <laughs> to connect you guys in, in San Antonio.
1: That's how it works sometimes. It's a big small world.
0: It is a big small world. You know there's some cute little connection piece. And I don't know where it started, but you're only five or six people away from being connected. Have you ever heard that? I don't know if it's called the Kevin Bacon effect or some other person, but you ever heard that?
1: Absolutely. In fact, just the other day, I, uh, I was thinking about that and I am six degrees from Kevin Bacon. Now I'm not going to get into that story, <laughs> but it's true. I confirmed it. And you are now probably because I think I was five degrees from Kevin Bacon. So now that you and I know each other, you're six degrees from Kevin Bacon.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's hilarious. That is so funny. Well, so not only being from San Antonio and being here for what you've been here, did you say for most of your life? Yeah, you know, pretty much
1: San Antonio's in southmost Texas, so there's little small towns I've been in most of my whole life, in and around San Antonio.
0: Well, so I guess this is gonna be home or you you uh plan on being here indefinitely?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah, I, I love the community. It's a great place to raise a family and no intent of leaving.
0: Well speaking of family, I know you have four beautiful kiddos. You've been married to uh Caress for did you say fourteen years? Fourteen years. 14 years. Yeah, we're close. You got me by a couple of years there, 12 years. So uh, congratulations on 14 years. I know that marriage, being a marriage coach, I know the ups and downs in marriage and anytime someone has crossed that decade mark, if you will, I know there's been a commitment on both sides that is exciting.
1: Yeah, for sure. No, I'm definitely, um, definitely proud
0: of that. Amen. Me too. You know, I noticed that not only are we close to each other relatively in, in town, but where you worship here in San Antonio, the church that you attend, you're even closer to me. You're just a couple of miles down the road. So we just keep getting closer and closer. Yeah,
1: <laughs> you know, that's Oak Hills Church. Max Lucato's yeah. the uh, main pastor there, along with Randy Frazee. And they've. Uh, it's a very big campus. I go to, I worship at a satellite campus. I used to worship at the main campus, but uh, we moved to a satellite campus, okay. a little closer to our house. But yeah, I was just there the other night preaching and teaching to a mentoring moms group.
0: Oh, how cool. How cool. I love that. That is awesome. That is awesome. Well, you know, speaking of teaching and mentoring, so blessed nation, Daryl's not only a husband and a father and a San Antonio, South Texas guy, but he's a certified financial planner. That's what he does with this time Monday through Friday, eight to five, so to speak. And you know, there's something, I don't know if it's your, your tagline, if it's your mantra, But it's something I've seen in the Daryl Lyons information that I was looking into. And I really like this, Daryl, because it identifies who you are and who's in you as kind of the tipping point of your business. And you said it like this. So if someone were to say, okay, so what does Daryl do and what is being a certified financial planner like for Daryl? And I, I, I read this. That you bring a faith-based approach to guide ambitious entrepreneurs, man, that is so cool. I mean that that shows me your willingness to put your faith right out in front in everything you do.
1: Yeah, so that you know, I, I got to admit that was there was a degree of timidity, and we weren't given a spirit of timidity, but there was a degree of timidity there when I first put that out there because you know it, it has a you know sense of you have a sense of accountability to making a statement like that, and then you also wrestle with the lack of authenticity and you're not walking on water and you know so yeah. i struggled with with putting it out there but uh, prayerfully considered it and i felt there was a battle there in my mind to do that and so i ended up boldly stepping in faith like they say and putting it out there and really shoot up now i mean it's i guess i did that four years ago now it, it's just a fluid part of my life
0: yeah well i i like that and i'm sure, i really think that that is honoring god when you make a statement like that, and something else that it reminds me of is something that will, I think, attract folks. And when we come before folks with a spirit of like what first Peter 315 tells us, and that is to make an account for that, that relationship that we have in Christ. But we do it with gentleness and reverence. You know, we don't use it as a, a dividing device. We use it as a as a tool to bring folks closer to God and to establish a standard in in our life, and I know that the flesh will will battle us at that, and so I understand that that questioning of man, do I put that out in front of all that I am in my business, and how are people going to react to that
1: yeah, you know the the two major sticking points was you know i don 't want to be and this is you know i 'm just being who I am, but i didn't want to put that out there with the idea that it was just a way for me to attract other Christians to do business with. I really pushed against that for a long time. In fact, I hid my Christianity because I did not want to cross that line for 15, 14 years of my life and professionally just really separated to So putting a faith-based component to my business, and I didn't want to do that because it felt like I've seen people do that just for business. So that was one part of it. And then the second part was, you know, I'm just just a, a very normal guy that makes normal mistakes in life. So for me to to present myself to the world as a Christian, I felt am I authentic in that? And then right. and then is a standard is there an expectation of how I behave. And so you just kind of wrestle with those. But what happened was I did it and it really I think doing that actually spiritually something happened because I felt like at that point I, I no longer was lukewarm. Like it was just an automatic this is the, it was the right thing to do and, um, had great dialogue with Christians along the way. No problem of meeting the the behavioral side of being a Christian. I was already doing it. I just, you know, it was just, it was just a spiritual battle that God was, God and the evil, the evil one was trying to convince me, don't, don't put yourself out as a Christian. You're going to end up influencing and changing lives. And I don't want you to do that. But you know, four years later, it was one of the best decisions I ever made.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate you sharing that part of it, that that intimate part of it and the struggle behind it, because it may look like something that is just it is what it is. But to know that struggle behind it and know the the spiritual warfare that was happening and how it's positioned you after making that decision. I mean, I think just that right there is a wonderful lesson before we even get into the body of the of the talk today. So thanks for sharing that. Yeah, you're welcome. Well, speaking of the the body of the talk, if you will, I'm excited for blessed nation to get to know more about that side of you Uh, kind of from the inside out as we talk a little bit more about maybe your daily personal walk in Christ. So are you okay if that's something that we can, we can chat on? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, cool. Well, as you know, Daryl, the, the foundation of the show, we, we have these three pillars in this setting. We have faith, hope, and promise. And then at the end, we, we discuss some nuggets of wisdom. So I want to begin with the faith part in life. And struggles, just like that, that little struggle that you were talking about and how it sets you up uh, really for an opportunity to be blessed by committing to that, that stand. But with each struggle or challenge in our life, I believe it creates an opportunity for God to do a work in us and even around us. Would you tell us about a time in your life when your faith was stretched and, and maybe even a time when you were maybe in that proverbial pit?
1: Yeah, and I'll, um, I'm actually I'll, I'll share a story with you, and it, and it has to do with money. And so, I think that's important because that's my professional background. All ego not aside, I'm an expert in this space and money, right? And so, I want to make sure that I I let people know that I'm not somebody who just passively thinks about money. I mean, I study money, and I study the way people behave with money, not only the behavioral side but the the academic side. I and mean, we can get into how and why I. That became an important part of my career path over the last 20 years, just being a student of money. So because I say all that, because the story I want to share with you, it was not an easy one. It's not an easy one for me to share, and it was a very difficult time in my life. I had a lot of letters behind my name at this point in my life, and this was... 12 years ago, and I had I was Rookie of the Year and Partner of the Year for a very large global financial services company, Fortune 100, I believe. And I had quit that job. I was on a path to New York or Chicago, and I had quit that job to start my own business in San Antonio because of my love for this community. My wife at the same time quit her job, and she was a teacher, and we decided to make a change in our life, and we had a newborn. I had to change the way I was managing my money because I had fallen into a trap that many young people fall into of consumerism. I had a BMW convertible and lots of credit cards and I had to unwind that. We went down to one car and my wife would drop me off at work and pick me up and I was completely broke and it's really, really hard to be a financial advisor and be broke. It's like a shop teacher with no fingers, right? Uh, So I was really challenged to make ends meet trying to get new clients. And I remember wanting to quit and telling my wife I'm going to quit. You know, I grew up in a trailer park, so a trailer park's not that bad. And um, she just, in her Southern Belle kind of way, just encouraged me to continue and to press on. And uh, it was tears. And and I didn't have enough money for the mortgage. And I was ruining my young start in life with uh, a newborn. I get to the office at 4 a.m., and I go to the office, and I open the door to the main building, and I had left the key to the office at home because our keys were separated, right? We had a car keys and then my office keys because they're usually on the same key ring, but you know we only had one car, so they were often separated. Well, my office keys were sleeping on the counter in the kitchen, and so I, I uh, didn't have them, so I sat in the parking lot. I was trying to work my way out of this financial mess. My mantra in life was MTXE, mental toughness, extra effort. And I had had a peripheral way of uh, relating with God. In fact, my favorite scripture was in Proverbs, go like an ant, thou sluggard, consider his ways and be wise. <laughs> so I was a hustler, mental oh, yeah. toughness, extra effort. And um, I got in the car at 4 a.m. and I just sat there and just cried and said, God, you know, I th- I think I'm doing life right, but what do you- what's going on here? And so this is where it's interesting to me because this is this is not who I am. I'm pretty academic in my approach and pragmatic in a lot of ways. But I sat there in my car and I said, "God, what do you what do you want?" And uh, I don't remember any verbal God conversation, but it was an imprint, a whisper. Maybe Bill Hybels references that in his book, "Whisper." And it was, "Are you done doing this? Are you done yet? Are you ready to put your money where your mouth is?" Was was what that kept coming to my to my mind. See, I had I had been giving financially when it was convenient. And at that point, when I was completely broke in my car, it was at that point in a conversation with God that I made a commitment to give the first fruits of my crop, so to speak, right. no matter what the circumstances, not in, in, in not in making a deal with God. I wasn't saying, God, I'm going to give you the first fruits if you bless me. It was, God, I'm going to give you the first fruits as a commitment to the fact that I trust you And this was a stronghold for me because money was very, uh, you know, that's it. That's all I thought about. Right. I mean, I I just told you I was an academic. I just, that's all I thought about was money. So I told God, I said, I'm going to commit to the first fruits. And, And I did that when I was broke and I haven't stopped since. And that was a transformative place in my life because I replaced the fear of money at that moment with trusting God with my wallet. And so you know, I read later that the word antidote, I believe that trust is the antidote to fear, specifically when it comes to money. And I read later that anti in the Greek means in replace of. So instead of like against, we often think of it that way. So what I referenced in that time was that God did a work on me and replaced the worry of money, the perpetual worry of money. And it was replaced by trust in him. And, and I committed to that with my wallet. So that was a transformative time for me and my money and my relationship with God.
0: So you committed and part of that transformation, was it a kind of a twofold effect? Was it that faithful commitment and then you backed it by a certain action? And, and for you, this action was that first 10%, that first fruits of your commitment to him. Was that kind of the two pieces that came to matter? Came That's together? That's exactly right. Yeah. Well, you know, it makes me think about so many scriptures in Hebrew in particular, how it talks to us about that faith without without the works part of it is, is dead. I was having a conversation the other day with this because although we are saved by faith and faith alone, you know, it's given to us as a free gift by the grace of God that works, supports our faith. And as our faith yearns to get busy, it's not a have to, it's not a law, it's a yearning and I, that's what I hear in that story, Daryl, is a yearning to tell God, not only am I giving you words, Lord, but I want to support it by something that is not only near and dear to my heart, but something that I am involved in each and every day. I see this, the sacrifice, not that a sacrifice is more than obedience, but I see the sacrifice in that because you were letting go of something that maybe you thought you had control on.
1: Oh, yeah. And and what's interesting is that, that I'm not the only one in this space that has this struggle. And so I I counsel and advise thousands of people, and a lot of them are Christians. And and not I'm not saying this with all Christians, but there's a lot that check all the boxes in terms of I go to Bible study, I pray, you know, I'm a good parent, but their money, they, they've yet to let God clean that one room in their house. And I just, I really struggle with that because there's 2,350 scriptures about money, so God has some interest in that space, and more than prayer and more than faith. I mean, obviously, we could talk about the numbers not being exactly God's character, but just from a pure numbers perspective, there's more scriptures about money than faith and prayer combined. And so I struggle with a, with a Christian when I'm advising them, and they're not, they haven't intentionally made a commitment to acknowledge that God is the one that provided, and they're acknowledging it with their wallet through their giving and there's there's several reasons I struggle with that one I believe that there's an acknowledgment when they do that of God being in control of everything and so I want them to to acknowledge that too it's very clear that those that give have less depression and so I see Christians who struggle with and we all do to a certain degree anxiety and depression And one of the interesting things that doesn't quite make sense, but giving with our money decreases depression. Mm. And then lastly, when I look at societal issues and the struggles we see in our communities and in the world, if the body of Christ made a commitment to give beyond the 1.4% we currently give collectively, I think we'd see the transformation of our world. And so I just see so many good reasons for the body of Christ to step up in this area. And I'm very happy to champion that cause in any way I can, but I've, I know it's difficult. I mean, I struggled with it for so many years.
0: Well, and I think scripture references so much about money. Like you said, what? 2,300 times. Yeah.
1: 2,350.
0: And I think, I think it does so because God in his infinite wisdom knows whether you're a certified financial planner or Not that this thing that we exchange to feed ourselves and to clothe our families and to support ourselves is going to be near and dear and front and center in our life. And so, if we, he's, I feel like he's pleading to us if you can get this one thing right, if you can trust me, if you can remove this stronghold of money over you and replace it with trust in me. I'm going to open up a window for you and pour out a blessing that you can't contain. Sounds easy. It's simple, but it's not easy.
1: It's not. And, you know, a challenge that just a practical example. So we have a reasonable income in my family. I, I own a company and I'm not poor anymore. Like I used to be poor for most of my life. I'm not poor anymore anymore. And which is really such just, I mean, I'd much rather not be poor. But we make a commitment to give and how we give and the way that looks, you know, I, it's always an interesting conversation of, of that. And I really, I actually don't get too much into how I do it because I want people to have a conversation with God, do their own mm-hmm. unpacking in scripture and, and make a decision because there's so much debate there. And I, I don't ever really want to get into the peripheral debate. I just want to get into the do you trust God and and what is he calling you to do kind of thing? But my point is that we are a part of a community. We're not a part of a wealthy community. We're part of a um, upper middle-class community in San Antonio, Texas. And you know that community and our peers are good people, but they have more toys than us, right? They just do, you know, they have nicer cars, they have nicer stuff. They go to nicer places and they don't give, right? So I know that because I asked them, right? I just <laughs> I have, I lead Bible studies and I call people out and we, and we talk about stuff and they're friends, by the way, I do, you know, I'm, it's the role I play, but they don't give. And so what happens is, is you start to say, man, gosh, if I didn't give, I'd be able to go there or buy that or, you know, buy that car. And so, man, it is a complete way of, I mean, you really have to be committed and you have to trust God in this space because every day society and it's your peers and it's the commercials and it's the radio and it's the television are telling you, you know, you got to consume more stuff. You got to consume more stuff. That's the way to happiness. And the other day I was out in my garage after Christmas and there was four big, black garbage bags of toys. I have four kids and there are toys in these garbage bags and they're older toys because we had to clean out the toys to bring in new toys. And I brought oh, my yeah. kids I brought my kids out and I go, look, there's four bags of toys here y'all haven't played with, with year in years. Tell me last year what the first gift you opened. And they couldn't tell me. I said, This is stuff guys. And you know, you try to tell it to kids and it's hard, but I mean it's a moral obligation for parents. It's a moral obligation for parents to teach their kids about money and parents know it. The other thing is it's, it's so much of a stronghold for parents. Parents don't have to be perfect to teach their kids, but they need to start teaching their kids.
0: Yeah. I love that. What message are we sending to our kids about money? Uh, my wife, Dana, her and I have that conversation about this time of year. It's funny that you bring that up right now about the, the trash bags of toys because it get it's uh Hey, I mean, we're guilty of it in our household about letting that get out of hand. and But it's a good opportunity for us to do just what you did, to kind of come full circle and have a discussion as a family and make our kids part of it and say, what role is this playing in our life? What can we do with these other things to maybe provide something that another family doesn't have? Let's take care of what God has blessed us with. Let's be, let's honor it by taking care of it. So it's a good conversation, but it does remind me about how much stuff that we accumulate over the years, especially as it relates to toys.
1: Oh my gosh. You know, I was, was a couple of days ago, my daughter, she had $5 and um, she, the school was doing a fundraiser for cancer or something like that. She said, I'm going to put the, all $5 in that cancer fund. And I told her no. And here's why. I want her to get in the habit of thinking about her money, not making quick rush to judgments, right? That was just a quick, hey, that's what I'm going to do, right? I've got money. I'm going to throw it in there. Mm -hmm. That's the last thing we want to do. We want to be thoughtful and methodical and considerate. So she knows that her responsibility is she has money. She has to put 10% and give and 10% and save and the rest, she can do whatever she wants with. And so I said, you can, once you follow that formula, you can make a good decision, but don't circumvent the plan. And, and so what, did I do the wrong thing? In fact, that, that she didn't donate to a charity that, you know, that was, that had a need, of course not, because the the bigger picture here is she needs to start learning about uh, making intelligent, unemotional decisions with money. And, and she learns this today, then when she's older and she has a family, she won't be a slave to consumerism, which is completely taking over United States of America.
0: Ah, I like that. And that, and yeah, that's, That's a tough conversation to have because there she is wanting to give everything she's got and you're trying to teach her a principle, but it's, I think I I like it, Daryl. I think it's a principle that makes us or kids in this case, stop and pause and think about what this means and how it sets us on a path to discussing good or bad habits in the future about money. So I, I like that. I like that. In fact, I'm I'm kind of taking notes for myself. Uh, I have two little guys. My boys are nine and seven. And so we have those kind of money conversations and we're teaching them about, about tithing and about saving and giving and how to really, like you said, create a formula that supports good discussions and good habits for your money. Well, so we've talked a little bit about how a lack of money in your life at one time created an opportunity for you to trust in God on giving your first fruits. And so whether it's connected to that story or whether it's a complete standalone story, I'd like for you to share with us a story of hope and talk a little bit about hope. And in particular, well, we know that our ultimate hope, it rests in the Lord. But but sometimes because of that secure confidence, we get to see an opportunity for God to do a work in us to increase that hope, to brighten that hope. And, and to see it manifest in our lives. Is there a time in your life where maybe you were, you know, at that proverbial pit and then you were at the proverbial palace, if you will, or on the track for a breakthrough that you'd like to share with us?
1: Yeah. So, um, by the way, I'm sorry if I I just kept rattling off and I probably blew up your agenda with the first whatever many minutes that we were discussing. So I, I just oh, enjoyed it. We are, right, we are okay. right
0: on course. You keep on when it's on your heart, Daryl. Okay. <laughs> I want you to talk about it.
1: <laughs> got it. Yeah. So I, obviously this is just, I enjoy, I enjoyed the journey and the conversation. And I so do I, um,
0: I do too. So yeah, don't hold back, brother. Got it. Let's see. I guess this was
1: trying to put it in perspective here. This was uh, seven, eight years ago, probably eight years ago. And um, we were doing, okay. You know, we, we had had our business for, so I started the business 12 years ago, but it was, it was just Lions Financial Services. And then when I, I started to add other owners. We became Pax Financial Group. So Lions Financial Services started 12 years ago, and then Pax Financial Group was an actual started 10 years ago. So I was um, I was a couple years into Pax Financial Group at this point, and we were we were doing okay. We were starting to get some traction. We were starting to pay, pay bills, and um, it was okay. I wasn't doing too bad, and I wasn't getting rich. I mean, it was just it was just I'm finally paying bills. And I decided to go to a conference in California and I was trying to play golf before this conference and I'm just not good at golf. I just have to be candid. I it just just doesn't click with me and I really enjoy the sport but I just uh, I just it just doesn't click. And the main thing about it is just being outdoors and being with guys. So I try to take up jogging and before the conference starts, which is an early morning conference, I get up very early and I go for a jog. And I jog with this other guy who I met at the conference. We get up early and we go and and we got lost because it was real dark. It was San Diego. We're running on the freeway. And I had never run that far in my life, but I think I ran 12 miles. And I get back. I'm late for the conference. Not a big deal, but just kind of frustrated that I turned the wrong direction and then I was late for the conference. I get back from the conference and you know, I was just, in terms of my athletic ability, I was getting a little older. So the fact that I wasn't playing golf and I was playing, I was trying other stuff instead of football and basketball, like I used to. It was just kind of a little frustrating time. Not a big deal. But I get back from this conference and I place a trade on a client's account. So we trade people's money. We, you know, we manage it and I'd press the wrong button and I lost him $10,000 and I might as well have burned $10,000 in dollar bills because it wasn't coming back. And he had a beard and guns and he was mad and I had to deal with him and he's actually a friend today, but at that time he was so mad. So again, not a big deal, but just kind of frustrated with stuff. I get back and my wife is, um, it was a February day. I remember that. And it was beautiful. And it was, I would think it would be a sunglasses and leather jacket kind of day. And I get back and my wife's expecting our third child at this time. So we have Luke and Claire and Luke's, I don't know how Luke, Luke is probably four or five and Claire's two. And so I'm going to take Claire, my little blonde girl in her princess dress. I'm going to throw in the back seat of the car. In her car seat, and I'm going to take our SUV right up the road to get groceries, so my wife can relax. She's not feeling good with our third baby in her belly. So I take her, I take Claire up to HEB, and that's the grocery store, right? And she, we're singing, and she asks to roll down the windows, and we roll down the window, and she sticks her finger out, and it gets caught in the window because she had kicked the electronic up button, and her finger was wedged between the window and the frame. And so she's screaming, and so I I try to push the electronic button down. And it won't come down. And I turn into the McDonald's parking lot. Finally, she releases her foot, and her finger severed. It, it's hanging on by the skin, oh my and goodness. there's blood everywhere, all over her little princess dress. So, I rush over to the Baptist Hospital right up the road, about a mile, mile and a half. And you know, I didn't know my name or anything. I really couldn't talk because I was kind of, you know, I was worried about my princess. And that night, Dr. Chris Phelps, he's again, he's a friend today. He successfully reattached her finger, not without fear or pain, but successfully reattached it. But that night, my wife lost our baby. And, um, you know, I'm just sitting there thinking, you know, I've got you know, professionally, I'm kind of frustrated. Physically, I'm frustrated as a father, as a husband, just really frustrated. And remember, my attitude in life was mental toughness, extra effort. So I couldn't really figure out how to work through this thing. And and I had loved God, but really never pressed into him and felt that I needed to figure this out. So I call up a guy I knew that had a little gray hair and read the Bible more than I did. His name is Bill Loveless. And, um, I called Bill and I said, Bill, can I have a, a breakfast taco with you and a cup of coffee and kind of unpack this? And so we did it. And that's when I don't remember what Bill said necessarily, but I remember God through Bill saying, are you done yet? Are you done living the life I never intended you to live? And are you done worrying about everything all the time? You know, I, the money thing was he'd done some work on that, but I was still worried about, you know, how people thought about me and the business growth and where's this at in my life and where's this going? It was perpetual. And I was completely done uh, with worrying. I I was ready to start really trusting God at that moment. So I started to unpack Scripture at that moment, and I made a commitment to to not trust God in a given year, to not just just trust God in a month, but just in each moment, moment by moment, just trust Him and depend on Him and, and not make life overly complex, but simply trust Him in this moment. And that transformation from being nearly hopeless with perpetual worry to very hopeful in each moment was really the catalyst to transition for me to have peace. And then having peace as a father changes the way you communicate with children and having peace as a leader of a company changes the way you communicate with your employees and having peace as a financial advisor changes the way you give advice. And so I became a, a man at that point with very little hope to a man who had peace And one that was much more attractive to other people. And so that was, that was an important transition in my life.
0: So when you say you, you got to a point or got to a place where you had peace as a father, as a dad, as a leader, and even as a businessman by trusting God, what, what does that look like? What is the, for you, just for you, Daryl, what are the pieces in between of making that decision to trust God and then receiving that peace? What do those look like for you in that season?
1: Yeah. Did you, were you thinking of like an example?
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm curious as to how, so you make that commitment to the Lord you say, Lord, I, I'm trusting you. I'm believing in you, but what happens in your life from that point to the point where you feel like that you received that peace and that you became peaceful as a dad, a leader and a businessman?
1: So I, I think maybe the best way, and if I don't answer it directly, let me know, but I think the best way maybe is just uh, examples of how I respond to life. So, you know, if somebody maybe fired me as a client, you know, a client fired me and prior to that, I would take, feel it as a personal attack and that I'm worthless and I'm, you know, I make mistakes and I'm just, you know, I'm not any good. And now, you know, there's always that degree of like, oh, but, but when in Christ, I know that God's got a better plan for that person and a better plan for me. And he's probably freeing me up to be able to do other things for him. And there's an element of trust. And, and when you have that element of trust, you don't dwell on the negatives anymore and just continue to press forward. And that's you know that happens for me all the time. And I have to have a preemptive strike, meaning that I have to be engaged with God prior to those events happening. So, my very practically speaking, I, you know, I have my quiet time with God in the morning and I'm more into Scripture and I can hear from God in those quiet moments and I can reflect on Scripture throughout the day and I can enjoy His praise and worship throughout the day in various ways. And so, I do have a preemptive strike knowing that knowing that there will be opportunities for the evil one to come along and try to mess with my brain and tell me that I'm worthless and take me to a place of hopelessness. Mm-hmm. But as I maintain that dependence upon God in each moment, then I um, I in turn say, you know, it's God's gonna work it out, Lord's gonna work it out. And I, I never really bought that before, but I remember have I have a good friend and he told me about a pastor one time telling him as a point of reference, he was a black preacher at a very charismatic church and he was coming to him for a concern that he had in life and the pastor didn't have an answer, but the pastor said he, he put his hand on his shoulder and said, Lord work it out <laughs> And so I always think about that and I'm every time I'm in a situation where there's confusion or worry or pressure I always think about that, Lord will work it out, and it's my response to the daily challenges that come up every single moment.
0: Yeah, I like that. I heard, a, I heard another pastor uh, that I follow say something very similar. When you just don't have, or he didn't have the answer, so someone was coming to him, kind of like your story, and he responded with this. He's thinking, I don't have the answer, but you know what? God is still on the throne. And it's the same thing that you're saying that other pastor said is that um, because of who we are in Christ, he has a better plan for our life and we trust him with that. And then I like what you said, Daryl. I like that you said you, you engage yourself with God. And so when I think of engaging yourself with God, I think of scripture. And when I think of scripture, I think of really our our final pillar for the show, and that's the promises of God. So that's a perfect, this conversation is really a perfect transition into the promises of God. You know, so in the Bible, there's goodness, over 7,000 promises in scripture that we can lean on, that we can look toward, that we can use as a tool to do what you said, to engage ourselves with God. So when you think of a scripture or a promise in the Bible, anything come to mind for you that is near and dear to your heart today.
1: Yeah, so I think of uh John, I think it's John 5:15, right? I'm the vine, you're the branches. Those that abide in me and I and you you bear much fruit because apart from me you can do nothing. Abide part really resonates with me. If I trust in him, uh bearing much fruit mm-hmm. is a very attractive thing to me because when I advise people with their money, no matter how much money they have, doesn't translate into love. I think of the one, the fruit of the spirit in Galatians, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, and self-control. What we all really desire is that fruit. And if we all desire that fruit, and he says, if you trust in me, if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. I really appreciate that promise. And I would love to have more joy, more peace, more patience, more kindness, more generosity. So whenever I find myself lacking in that, I trust that the more I press into him, the more that he will allow me to be the PVC pipe to let his patience flow through me, especially when I have four kids.
0: Oh, yeah, especially when you have kiddos. Yeah, Yeah. I think that's a good challenge for us as Christians is to want to bear more fruit for the glory of God. And he tells us how, and, and you just kind of summed it up for us by abiding in me. That's such a good mental picture. And the way you started it with the vine and the branches, it creates that mental visualization of how we can connect with God and how we can bear the fruit of God. So right. thank you for sharing that, that scripture with us. You're welcome. So as we roll into the kind of the final couple of uh, pieces to the show here, you know, these are really questions that I want to ask you, Daryl, that are like nuggets of wisdom. They're short, punchy questions. And I'm looking for short, punchy answers that kind of set the the Proverbs context in motion here. And so this final segment of the show gives us an opportunity to create little wisdom keys in our life. So this nugget of wisdom round, I'm going to start it off with this first question. And um, it's simple, but I think it's impactful. And I think it's a, a great beginning to these questions. And it's this what's on your heart right now that you're praising God for that you're grateful for?
1: You know, I, uh, I really have to praise God for, um, gosh, there's so much, but when I think about my children and who they are and who they're becoming, and I'm really, really praising God for, for them. I'm really, it's unbelievable to have them. I'm, I'm a steward for them and he gave me gifts. And so I am praising God for them.
0: Indeed. They are gifts. That's such a great way to, To look at it. That way we honor that gift. Well, kind of on that same line of gratefulness for you in any given day, what is one way that you like to be a blessing to other people?
1: In a a daily capacity? Yeah. So um, I kind of, I may sidestep this because I kind of do things weekly. My days just kind of go crazy, but I, every week I pray for all my employees. I pray for some specific employees. And then every week I reach out to somebody in my neighborhood because the whole idea of loving your neighbors has been really resonating with me in the last two or three years. I read a book by Randy Frazee called Making Room for Life, and that really reframed my community thoughts. And so I reach out to a neighbor and whether it's a text or a, a voicemail or actually get them on the phone and just encourage them and and uh, just listen to their hearts.
0: Well, I like that. I, I like that. You know, I heard someone say that the garage door opener was the biggest problem the as far as inventions go for neighborhoods because you know, used to, we would have to get out and make ourselves seen. And if there's a neighbor there and open the opportunity to have dialogue, but now we don't even get out of the car. So making that, that concentrated effort on a regular basis to go around and, and spend time with your neighbor or converse with your neighbor. I like that. And I have, I can't say that I have heard that as being an active way to connect with people, but I think it's probably an effective way.
1: It is. It's, Again, you know, it's it's unpacked with more support from Randy Frazee through his book, and that's uh, I didn't invent it, but it's been really uh, it's really been an important part of our family.
0: Yeah, I like that. Well, the next question I have for you, and you know, we didn't get into this a lot, and maybe there's an opportunity for us down the road to get into this point, but I know that you've authored a book, and so and I also know that you're an avid reader, and so when it comes to books could you share with us a Christ-centered book? And it doesn't have to be specific. I mean, it can be a fiction book, but that has a, a Christ-centered theme. And it doesn't matter if it's related to finances or your faith or your relationships or, or what have you. But is there any book that you'd like to share with us here at Blessed Nation that you've read that you think might be something we should pick up?
1: I did mention Making Room for Life by Randy Frazee. That's a great one. Um, also, The uh, Rest of the Gospel, Stone is the author and that one's one of my favorites. So I would I would run with those two. You know, in terms of a money one, there's a deep dive that you could go into with Randy Alcorn called Money Possessions Eternity, but you just have to be prepared to to spend some time on that one.
0: Okay. Cool. Well, I've got those written down. And you know, I like to because it's so nice to get to connect with someone like yourself that has a specialization in something in particular and to get a recommendation of a book that is in line with that, but also has that underlying tone that aligns itself with Christ. So I love to be able to connect with a book like that. And the reason I do it is years ago, I was at a conference and I got to hear this guy. Uh, in fact, I don't even think he's alive anymore. His name was Charlie Tremendous Jones. Have you ever heard of him? I haven't. Well, he was a motivational speaker. And one of the things that he was known for was related to books. And he said that, and I've heard many other people Use a version of this, but he basically said that you'll be the same person in five years as you are today, except for the people you meet and the books you read. And I like that. I think that it's powerful. Makes me think about what you do with your neighbors. Makes me think about these books. And there's no secret that readers are leaders. So, with those books in mind, or really any book that's on your mind or on your list, Bless Nation, I want to give you an opportunity to check these books out and even look at getting a book for free. So I've I've teamed up with audiobook and if you're looking to try out an audio service, they'll give you a free book. Whatever free book you want. So you can go to audibletrial.com/blessed. That's audible trial.com/blessed and you can try out a free book there. I'm one of those guys that if I'm out and about doing something that I don't have to have 100% of my effort focused on, I like to have some earbuds in, listening to a podcast, listening to a book uh, an audio book. And so that's why I wanted to to share this with you blessed nation if you've got your heart set on a book So, Daryl, I guess the last, I've got two more questions for you.
1: I want to interrupt you because my book should be on Audible here soon. Uh, The same guy that did T.D. Jake's audiobooks has done mine. And so we just wrapped it up and I'm hoping it'll be on Audible here real soon. So that would be one they could pick up.
0: How nice. And and Daryl, would you give us the title of your book?
1: Sure. It's Small Business, Big Pressure, A Faith-Based Approach to Guide the Ambitious, entrepreneur.
0: I really like that subtitle. And I think that really supports kind of your your business mantra, if you will, that we talked about earlier. And that is that you have a, a faith-based approach to the ambitious entrepreneur. So that nicely, nicely aligns with that. Cool. I'll be sure that we share that on the show notes. So Bless Nation on each episode of the podcast on our website, we have a summary of the show notes of the things that Daryl and I have talked about, the books that we've referenced, and even places where you can connect with Daryl. So that's kind of my next question. So Daryl, I know that you've got some platforms, if you will, that folks can connect with you. But if folks are looking to learn more about who you are, about what you do, and just looking to connect with you, how would they go about doing that?
1: Yeah, there's several places. I have an author site, uh, smallbusinessbigpressure.com. My, um, I spend most of my time in my company, and that's PAX, uh, P-A-X, financialgroup.com. I don't tweet a lot, but I do a LinkedIn article every week. So if you connect with me on LinkedIn, that's another way to, to connect.
0: I will definitely put that in there. Well, the last thing I want to know, and what made me think about it, is your book. Because I know there's so many interesting things that we could talk about. But I want you to share with us something that's, I don't know, it's exciting for you. It's got you excited right now in your life, a project, maybe something you're doing with your kiddos, with your wife at work. What's one thing that's got Daryl Lyons excited these days? Oh my goodness.
1: You know, starting a new year, there's a lot of things that are exciting. We're completely reorganizing our business. So I'm so excited about that. Uh, That's you know, it's always, there's t- tension, but there's uh filled with opportunity. And then I'm building a tree house for the kids. I'm totally oh, pumped about that. Yeah. Uh, they watch Treehouse
0: my- masters by chance?
1: No way. I will not let them watch that because <laughs> then that'll set up false expectations. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. I refuse to do that. No, and And we're, we're learning Spanish around my house. I've, I've always had an appreciation for that language. So we just have a lot of cool stuff happening right now.
0: Well, that's exciting. Thanks for sharing those fun things with us. And you know what, Daryl, I want to thank you for just coming on the show today.
1: Yeah. It's been a blast. I will mention one other thing. Do you mind? Yeah, No, go for it. I'm almost done establishing a 501 C three in the United States for the purposes of serving kids in Moldova to get them off the streets and onto the basketball court. The ministry is called the admirals and it's named after a friend of mine named David Robinson mm-hmm. and that 501c3 should be established. I mean, just waiting for the IRS any day now.
0: Cool. So the idea behind this, the admirals is to get kids off the street of where did you say?
1: Moldova. It's a small country between Russia and uh, or between Ukraine and Romania.
0: Wow. That that sounds like an exciting endeavor. Yeah. So that's, that's got me pumped too. Cool. It's called the admirals. The Admirals Basketball oh, Academy, yeah, perfectly fit because we know. Well, you and I know, <laughs> David Robinson was the Admiral to Spurs, so go Spurs. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's exactly right. Yeah,
0: awesome. Well, thanks for being so open with us, Darrell, for for letting us kind of take a peek into your your walk in Christ to share some of the journeys, some of the some of the challenges, and even some of the successes. I appreciate you being open with us like that. You're welcome. It was fun. I I enjoy it too. Me too. Blessed nation. I'm grateful that you got to tune in today, that you got to spend some time with us. It's an honor to get to be your host. And as we visit with Daryl down the journey of his blessed life. And, you know, if you enjoyed this episode, I want to invite you to review the show. It's simple to do on iTunes. Just type in your blessed life in the search bar uh, in iTunes. And when you see the, the, the podcast artwork for your blessed life, just click on it and there's a rate and review tab. So, I want to thank you in advance for doing that and for supporting the show. And so, bless nation. I want to re- I want you to remember that until we get together that next time that God loves you and he wants to bless you.